It's great to see you all. Good morning. You can turn to your gospel reading in Mark chapter 16. It's a really interesting story, this gospel text, because it's about women who are afraid when they're receiving really good news. I remember just over a year ago looking with an incredible sense of relief that we had acquired a big tub of hand sanitizer. This is the tub. This is the very one. It was sitting on our uh, kitchen island. And I remember being like, yes, we got it. The thing that will stand in between me and death (laughs) has been acquired. Do you remember when you got your first post-COVID roll of toilet paper. And it was like, yes, the moment of triumph. I have triumphed as a consumer. I have triumphed as a human. I have toilet paper. We got those little small things we hoped for, and then that kind of graduated and became different things that we hoped for. Seeing a friend in person again. Or or maybe it was uh, like an election day without violence. Or when it was falling cases, Or then it was warmer weather. Or then maybe it was a vaccine appointment. Or maybe it was like sending our kids back to some kind of something. And all of things are good things, wondrous things. But in retrospect, is hand sanitizer enough to contain our greatest hopes? Are all these little things enough to contain our greatest hopes? No, indeed. Something happens when a crisis hits, doesn't it? Something happens to our hope. Crisis can limit our hopes to the things we can control. Those little things, those little goals, like so many things are out of control. Well, what's in my control? If I could only get that little thing that's in my control, then my hopes would be fulfilled. And we can just diminish our hopes so much, so much, and just shrink them down into little things that are so much less beautiful and so much less wild than the new creation that Jesus is bringing. Now, the women were in the same place, the women of our text. They were in the same place, and how could they not be? These women had lived through some of the worst events of their life, the worst event of their life. Their leader, they watched him get publicly condemned. They watched him get publicly tortured. And they watched him die. And he died. They couldn't even give him a proper burial. What a terrible thing. When things go so absolutely wrong, what was the one thing on their minds? What was the one thing they really wanted to make sure that they they were able to do? What was one thing that they hoped for? It's really important for us to see what happened to these women and how the resurrection of Jesus interrupted them and raised their hopes to the level of his new world. Let's look at Mark 16. Verse one, when the Sabbath was passed, this is the Sabbath was the day after, it was Holy Saturday, what we call now Holy Saturday, the day after Jesus was crucified and taken down from the cross and laid in the tomb. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. 
And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, just like it had risen this morning, they went to the tomb. Now, these women had very good reason to be concerned about anointing the body of Jesus. Just like any of you, if any of your close family members were to die, you would want to make sure they had a proper burial and that their corpse was not treated, uh, you know, like any buried animal might be treated. You want to make sure they have a proper burial. Mary Magdalene was a woman from whom Jesus Christ cast out seven demons at one point. And she spent a lot of her resources supporting the Jesus movement that she was a part of. She was one of the followers of Jesus and very devoted to him. Mary, the mother of James, is also the mother of Jesus. This is his own mom who gave birth to him. She's gonna care a lot about how her son is treated as he is buried. And then you have Salome, who was present at Jesus' crucifixion. These are women who were devoted to Jesus all the way to the end. Some of the toughest women in history. When all the men ran away, when Jesus was crucified, these women were at his side. They were at his side when he was um, publicly tried. They watched the whole thing go down. And so they're gonna be there, not just when he's crucified, but also when he's buried. And they're grieving the best way they know how, by bringing some spices and making sure the job is done. Now, here's their biggest problem. Here's their biggest hope, really. It's the main question, it's the hand sanitizer question on their mind, and it's verse three, that first Easter morning. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? Now, can you imagine the conversation between them as they're walking from their homes to the tomb in the first light of the morning? Like, all right, wait a second, oh my word, did you think about rolling the tomb away? I, like, we remember the spices, but we didn't remember the, uh, the, the like, tomb wall. Like, how is that going to get moved? I thought you were the project manager for tomb removal. And so they're walking there and thinking, like, who will roll it away? Like, maybe there's just, like, some big dude who's there. Maybe, like, a group of strong men who are, like, hanging around in the middle of the night near graveyards that maybe could help us. And so they're worrying about this and they're wondering about this and like maybe praying like, oh God, if I've ever asked you for anything, the only thing I want, the only thing I'm asking you for is just to have someone remove the entrance to the tomb. Can you just have someone roll it away? Because all I, would, all I need at this point after all I've been through is just a chance to give Jesus a proper burial. Would you do that for me, God? That's really all I want at this point with all I've lived through. And yet along the way, they get surprised that they get interrupted. On their way to have their small hopes fulfilled, they are interrupted by some strange supernatural activity in verse four. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And we're not talking about inched away. We're talking about thrown aside to the point where they could waltz right into the tomb. So the first problem is solved. The stone is rolled away, which could be good. It could be bad. What if someone took the body? So maybe their pulse quickens and they uh, get wide-eyed and they duck into the tomb to find out, is the body still there? And verse five, entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, 
and they were alarmed. This is really strange because this is no ordinary young man. He's wearing a white robe, glistening whiter than this robe here, and he's sitting, which is a sign of authority in that culture. It's a sign that a teacher is in the room. This young man is an angel sent from God. He's a three-dimensional message from God. Everything about him is sending a message from God. And he has come to instruct them and teach them about what is happening. Now, Mark tells us that the women were alarmed. And uh, I don't think that this was just like an unexpected, like, <gasps> spook, like a jump scare, where all of a sudden there's like a person there you weren't expecting, like, you know, why did you do that to me? But I think it was that he was a supernatural being. Like we said before, these were tough women. They weren't easily scared. They weren't scared by a crucifixion. They weren't scared away from the, uh, from the mob justice. They were loyal. They were tough. And so the fact that they were alarmed meant they were in the presence of holiness. They were in the presence of the supernatural. And the toughest people in scripture got afraid when in the presence of an angel. These women were living through strange times. The tectonic plates of history were shifting underneath their feet and a whole new world was emerging. A world that God was creating was emerging all around them in a way that was so outside their control. It was all more than they dared hope. It was all more than they dared expect. All they wanted was a stone to get moved. And what they found was an angel from God with a message of hope. Now, here's the angel. He's gonna begin to teach them. He's gonna begin to instruct them in verse six. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. Well, he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Yes, the body was taken, but not in the way they expected. The body was raised by God's power. This young man angel has supernatural knowledge about the women. Without them saying a word, he knows that they are alarmed, and he knows that they are seeking Jesus' dead body. Ladies, I know what you've placed your hope in. I know what you are seeking, and I've got news for you. He got up. He was raised, hallelujah. He is not here. This place couldn't hold him. Death couldn't hold him. Hell couldn't hold this man. The early church pastor, John Chrysostom, put it like this. He has destroyed death by undoing death. He has despoiled Hades by descending into Hades. Hades received a body and encountered God. It received earth and confronted heaven. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Now, when you hear news like that, what do you do with all of your anointing spices? What am I supposed to do with this now? What do you do with your old hopes of burying the corpse of Jesus? You toss them aside. Please don't explode. You forget about them. Why? Because you have bigger fish to fry than anointing a dead body. If Jesus is alive, then death is defeated and Hades is despoiled by the power of God. That makes a lot of petty things seem irrelevant, right? 
like settling old scores and chasing old dreams and kidding ourselves that we ever had control in the first place. The old assignment, anoint Jesus for a permanent burial. The new assignment, announce Jesus' new permanent beginning. Verse 7 tells us about their assignment. There was instruction, and then there was a command. Verse 7, go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Hey, women, go and tell the disciples and Peter. If any of you heard the Good Friday sermon, we were reminded of all of Peter's massive failures. He singled out as, hey, someone is out there who really needs to hear the good news. And that's Peter. Peter totally failed. His spirit was willing, his flesh was weak, and he bit the dust. He had all kinds of bravado, and he failed utterly in front of everybody several times. And he's crushed. Peter is crushed. He's ready to quit. He's ready to give up. He is buried in his own sense of unworthiness. When we have failed miserably, and we all do, when we have let ourselves and our community and our God down, we can just get overwhelmed and buried in our own shame and mistakenly think that God could never love us or trust us with big things. The women, at least, could hope to bury Jesus' dead body. They could have some kind of closure, but Peter could only go bury himself in shame. His eyes were downcast, along with all the disciples who had abandoned Jesus. So go tell Peter. Lift up your eyes, Peter. Jesus is alive, and he hasn't left you behind. He wants to see you. He wants to forgive you. He's ready to commission you. There would come a time when Peter's very shadow would heal the sick people that he would walk by. There would come a time when Peter would preach a message and 3,000 people would convert to Jesus on the spot. There was a time when Peter would see signs and wonders and also be a tender, humble shepherd and broken among God's suffering people. The power and love of Jesus would flow through Peter so fully and so richly, but first he needed to hear the good news on the other end of his failure because his failure had diminished his hopes all the way down to a nub. What have the crisis, the crises of the last year done to your hope? Have they diminished your hope to the things that you can control? Have they diminished your hope all the way to just hiding and shame? For some, we would just be content with small tokens of a carefree life at this point. Restaurants, concerts, friends, travel. For those of you who are at Emmanuel, just being back at the Kiva with our friends. Small tokens of a, of a life we once knew. Or, or just content with keeping ourselves safe or keeping our loved ones safe. Has it diminished your hope? Has it extinguished your hope altogether? this last year, all the crises of the last year? Have you failed in the last year in some way? Have other Christians failed? 
Has your family or friends failed you significantly in the last year? Has, it, has that crushed your hope for what God could do? For what God could do through his church? It, has the church failed you this year? Have you just seen all around you or just signs of a darkening and, and divided world and a darkening and divided church? And, and then inside of you, you see your own like shortcomings and sin. And you just feel like Peter, too broken, too hired, or too tired to hope for more than survival. Have the endless trials of the last year diminished your hope or extinguished your hope? If so, let's listen to the message of the women to raise our eyes, to lift up our eyes that Jesus is alive. Now think of this, if Jesus could make good on his promise to be raised from the dead, what other promises has he made that he will also make good on? Think about this promise. He said this, I came so that you would have life and have it abundantly. Jesus promised a rich, full, abundant life beyond survival. And that promise was made for anyone, anyone who would receive it, even those who have no hope left. He's made that promise, and he's making good on it. Jesus also promised this, come to me, all who are weary or heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He can restore us, body and soul, after burnout and exhaustion and pain. If he made good on the promise to rise from the dead, he can restore us too from the inside out, starting today. After Jesus rose from the dead, he made this promise to a group of suffering churches in Asia Minor. He said, behold, I am making a new heaven and a new earth. And he said, I am making all things new. He wanted to help us see that the walls aren't closing in, that the walls are actually giving way to a new creation entirely. And he's leading traumatized, discouraged failing people into this new world so that we could rule it with him. After crisis, after crucifixion, this is way more than we ever expected. And this whole episode really shook the women up. Um, so verse eight, it's the way that Mark ends his gospel. Maybe there's more to it that got eaten away or something, but this is what we've got. And so he says, they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. You know, come to think of it, how much easier would it have been for the women if Jesus had just stayed dead? If Jesus had never gotten up, how much more, I don't know, peaceful would their day have been? So Esau McCulley, an Anglican pastor and author of the book Reading While Black, made an insightful comment about this verse in his essay in the New York Times. He said this, Easter is a frightening prospect. For the women, the only thing more terrifying than a world with Jesus dead was one in which he was alive. We all know what to do with grief and despair. We have rituals for it. Hope is much harder to come by. The terrifying prospect of Easter is that God called these women to return to the same world that crucified Jesus with a very dangerous gift, hope in the power of God, the unending reservoir of forgiveness and an abundance of love. It would make them seem like fools. 
Easter was a frightening prospect for the women. It meant much higher hopes. It meant a much riskier life. What about you? Does Jesus' resurrection scare you? Does it complicate your life? If it's true that Jesus is alive right now and on the move, how might that complicate your life? Now, it might mean that he's truly Lord and that he's calling your name. He's calling your name this morning. And he's asking you to serve him. He's asking you to follow him. You haven't followed him yet. And he's saying, follow me. And you know it. And it means you have to give up what feels like control over your life to say yes to him. Now, for those who currently follow Jesus, it might mean that the era of safe Christianity is over. Maybe he's shaking things up for you. He's stirring things up for you. He's raising the stakes for you. He's sending you, as he sent the women, as witnesses to the resurrection to share your story. Unbelievable though it sounds, to those who may consider that to be strange or impolite or unbelievable. It may mean that he's sending you into conversations that are thrilling and scary about ultimate meaning and life and faith and Jesus. For others, it might mean that Jesus is going to give you more courage than you want. It might mean that he's going to give you more forgiveness, that unending reservoir of forgiveness, more than you want. He's going to impart to you spiritual gifts you didn't ask for and release them in a spiritual family you didn't choose. He's going to impart to you power and make it possible for you to bear all things, endure all things, and hope all things in a dangerous world that he's making new. If Jesus had just stayed dead, it's a lot less complicated. We can just worry about hand sanitizer. If Jesus had just stayed dead, we could anoint him with dead flowers and move on with our life. We could place our hope in things that don't last and things that don't satisfy and things that don't make anything new. Yet the truth is more wild and beautiful than we dared hope. And it's true. The tomb is empty. The eyewitnesses are clear and united. The Lord is alive and he's stirring the pot. He's stirring the pot this morning. Now we know from other gospel accounts that Jesus met these terrified women and encouraged them. He said, hey, don't be afraid. It's really me. Go, on, like, go tell the disciples to meet me in Galilee. I'm coming. And then he encouraged his disciples and he gave them the peace they needed and the strength they needed to fulfill the call that he had on their life in their day. He gave them the power they needed to fulfill what he had asked them to do. And aren't you glad that they fulfilled their call? Aren't you glad that they, in their day, they followed Jesus into his complicated and beautiful new creation world that they couldn't control at all? but they could bear witness to all that he was doing. That's what he will do for us, my friends, because he's no longer a corpse in a tomb. He is the Lord on the move, 
So lift up your eyes from the problems that vex you. Lift up your eyes from the regrets that nag you. Lift up your eyes from all of the small hopes for a safe life. Lift up your eyes. Jesus is alive. He's creating his world. He's calling your name, and he's restoring our hope. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.